Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good morning, everyone. Great to be here opening up the Bible with you. Um, well done to our tech guys this morning. I've never been so thankful for them. Let's give them a round of applause. Yeah. And, our, and our electricians. Uh, Salt. Been so, um, so well done. Uh, I'm Michael, uh, one of the pastors here at Salt Church. Uh, if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. So welcome if you're new. Great to have you tuning in online as well. I know as Jess said, uh, some of us are online this morning. Uh, many of you are here as well. So great to have you here in person. Um, let me just say one thing before I pray and we get into the Bible. Next Sunday uh, is Vision Sunday. So we'll be talking about uh, where are we heading this year at Salt? How are we going to keep making disciples? Uh, there's some exciting things in store for us. I want you to be on board with that. Make sure you come next Sunday and uh, we're going to talk a bit more about that. Uh, and you can pray that we have power here at 275 as well. Um, why don't I pray for us this morning as we look at this unexpected truth? Our great Heavenly Father, uh, please help us now to focus. Uh, to look into your word, to hear you speak to us. Lord, as we consider the big things of heaven and eternity, uh, help us to hear what Jesus says to us. Uh, Lord, please correct us. Uh, Help us in our understanding. Give us confidence uh, in in what Jesus has said and what Jesus has done. Help us to respond in a way that pleases you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today is the last of our unexpected truths. Uh, Only bad people go to heaven. And I reckon it is pretty unexpected. I remember the first time I heard that phrase. Uh, I was at uni. Every uh, week they used to publish the titles of the Christian talks. Uh, There'd be an A board in front of our um, our lecture block. Uh, There was a girl on my course who would look at that every week and make comment on the titles. Uh, She didn't necessarily come along, but... That week she said to me, isn't that wrong? Shouldn't it be good people go to heaven? Surely you've got it wrong. A mate of mine was in the UK and he was uh, talking on this topic. Uh, He organised flyers to be printed for the whole city. Not the whole city, but he wanted to get it out there, uh, this this great talk. Uh, The printer rang him uh, just before he was ready to pick the flyers up. And said, I I see you've made an error uh, with your flyer. Don't worry, I've fixed it for you. Um, We've done the print run. It's all ready to go. You can come and pick them up. Um, So my mate had to speak to him. uh, I ended up talking to him about Jesus. Ended up sharing the talk with him and obviously a a further discussion about rewriting those flyers. He's misunderstood Jesus. Uh, It is unexpected. Bad people do get to go to heaven. Uh, in fact, only, that's the thing, is that only bad people get to go to heaven is what we're going to see this, this morning. Heaven is full of bad people. If you're not a bad person, you won't be there. In fact, it's bad people that Jesus came for. Now, the words of Jesus are really worth listening to this morning because we're talking about eternity, right? Um, Could there be anything more important than being sure 
on where you'll spend eternity. Although, a lot of people don't give it much thought, do they? I reckon a lot of Aussies give more thought to researching the purchase of a fridge than where they'll spend eternity. It's really tragic. But don't be like that, but well done. Uh, If you're here exploring Jesus, uh, if you're tuning in online, uh, it's great. That's what we want to be doing here at Salt, helping people find Jesus, have that confidence uh, that you'll be in heaven on that last day. So well done. Uh, If you've got further questions, make sure you... Uh, connect with us through the Connect card. We'd love to talk to you further. Now, I reckon today's truth is unexpected because of a gross misunderstanding of Christianity. I think that's where it stems from, isn't it? And I reckon it goes a bit like this. Christianity, a lot of people, a lot of Aussies would say, is basically about being good. It's basically about being good. Uh, It must be about being good because Jesus was good. He was undeniably good. Um, there is the person, there is the man in history who was the most compassionate, the kindest, the most merciful, the one who fought for justice, loved the poor, uh, spoke uh, to power and abuse in politics and religion. He was a good man. Jesus was good. Christians are trying to be like him. Christians are trying to be good, or at least they claim to be good. Aren't they the ones who don't swear, don't gamble? Don't take drugs. Don't get drunk. Now, you might think they're hypocrites. But Jesus is good. Christians are claiming to be good. So it must be, for me to become a Christian, I need to become good. I need to reach a certain standard. I reckon if if that's your thinking, there will be two responses. One is pride. Actually, I'm already good enough. I don't need Jesus. I can be good without Jesus. And don't you hear people say, you don't need to be a Christian to be good. I can be good without Jesus. I don't need to go to church. I'm I'm good. Or secondly, it can lead to despair. Actually, as I think about it, I'm not good. And if if there's a standard that Jesus sets, I'm not going to get over that line. I've really messed up in life. There are things in my life that I regret. And so, I guess Christianity is not for me. I reckon if that's what you're thinking, if that's what you think about Christianity, you've majorly misunderstood Jesus. Come with me to Luke's Gospel. Uh, We're going to look at Luke chapter 15, but flick back to Luke chapter 5. There must be something within us as human beings uh, that that way of thinking, that misunderstanding of Christianity was there 2,000 years ago, when people walked and talked with Jesus. I flip back to Luke chapter 5. That's Luke's biography, Luke's story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And I want want you to see the bad guys are hanging out with Jesus and the good guys are angry with Jesus. And they're angry with Jesus because he hangs out with the wrong people. He hangs out with the bad guys. Uh, So have a look, Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, uh, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed me. Thank you. Now you've got to understand tax collectors uh, in the first century are the scum of the scum. Okay. Now, Think for a moment, modern profession. Who is the modern, what is the modern profession that has the reputation 
of ripping people off and getting rich in the process. <laughs> Don't say it out loud. <laughs> um, the tax collectors are those kind of people. How much fury in the community that it creates when they're ripping people off, they're getting wealthy in the process, they're actually collecting tax from the Jews to the Roman Empire. That's bad. We don't like that, but they're actually pocketing some money for themselves. They're becoming wealthy. Jesus hangs out with those guys. Jesus chooses one of those guys as one of his disciples. Even worse, look at, look at verse 29. Levi holds a great banquet for Jesus at his house. So there's a banquet, a party of tax collectors. There's a banquet of the scum of the earth. A large crowd of tax collectors, others were eating with, with them. And there is Jesus with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So there's the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the so-called good guys who always keep the law. At a dinner party with the scum of the earth with whom Jesus is invited to and uh, is part of. And they are furious at Jesus. And look at what Jesus says in verse 31. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You haven't come for those who think they're good. I've come for those who know they're not good and need to turn back to God. In Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus is known as the friend of tax collectors and sinners. What an accusation. Jesus, you're the kind of person who loves sinners and tax, tax collectors. Turn with me now to chapter 15. Let's look at the story there. And you'll see again, before we get into it in verse 11, verse 1 is really, really critical. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Really fascinating. The bad guys are interested in Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the so-called good guys again, they're angry. They mutter, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. How can this be? Why does he do this? And so Jesus tells this story. In fact, he tells three stories, three parables, to help them with their misunderstanding. Who was a sinner? What is God like? In fact, he's going to talk to us about what we're like. So have a look at me. Verse 11. Many of you would have heard this story before. There's two sons. A man has two sons. And the younger son does something that I reckon even in Jewish culture, I think, is still shockingly disrespectful to his father. He has the audacity to ask his father for a share in the inheritance. Now, he's clearly not on good terms with the father. He's not wanting the money to look after his father uh, in his old age. He's actually selfishly wanting it for himself. He's going to take off with the money. Here's what I reckon that he's saying to his father. Now, don't try this at home. Dad, I don't want you. I want your money. I actually want to enjoy all that you've got, all that you've worked hard for. I don't care whether you're dead or alive. I want to enjoy it all. I just don't want you. Can you imagine doing that? That is shockingly disrespectful, isn't it, to say the least? But look, right from the beginning, 
we see the generous heart of the father. Uh, The father gives him the money. The son leaves the family home. Um, I I think we know from the rest of the story that he knows that if he ever returned, he would not return as a son. He'd return maybe as a hired hand. He turns his back on the father. uh, He has the money. And then he squanders the money, doesn't he? He goes off in uh, living recklessly. And there's, there's a period of time perhaps where he enjoys the money. But it soon runs out and the father's life savings are reduced to zero. And look at what it says in verse 14. Jesus says a severe famine hits the country and the young man begins to be in need. Uh, it's going to be the worst possible scenario, isn't it, to survive the famine. You're away from your family. You've got no money. You're at your low point. You've got no one to lean on. And then the famine hits. And so what does he do? He hides himself out to a pig farmer. Uh, turn on your screen there, you'll see pictures of pigs. <laughs> um, and you don't have to know much about Jewish culture again to realise here's the lowest of the low. Jews and pigs don't match, don't, don't connect. Uh, pigs are filthy animals uh, in their religion. And yet he says, I've got to hire myself out to this pig farmer. Desperation. Verse 16, look at it. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. That's desperate, isn't it? He looks at the the slop of the filthy pigs in the pen and becomes hungry. And it's one of those moments in life where he's so down looking at the pigs, he's thinking, hang on a minute, those pigs are better off than I am. There is an animal, filthy, dirty, being treated better than me. I reckon it's one of those moments where he says, who am I? How did I get here? What have I done? And then look at verse 17. He comes to his senses. He says, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. So what is he saying? What a fool I've become. How could I have done such, made such a decision? I had everything. There I was a son enjoying the wealth of my father. And I decided I'm going to go my way. I'm going to do it my way. And look at what's become of me. Look at verse 18. He decides, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. So what is he saying? I'm at fault. I have sinned. I made the wrong decision. I've actually sinned against my father. Uh, I need to come home. I need to say sorry. And when I come home, I'm not expecting to be a son anymore. I'm actually, maybe I'll be the hired hand. Give me the shearer's shed. Make me a worker. Well, he had no idea what's coming, did he? Look at verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now, that's that's huge. Jewish, there's another point of Jewish culture. Jewish fathers don't run. That's undignified. And here's the Jewish father who says, 
I don't care about that. Here's his compassion that takes over. Here's the father that's been waiting for him to come home. Here's, here's the father who's been on the front porch, to give you the Aussie version, the front veranda. Uh, is tonight the night my son will come home? I'm so longing for him. <clears throat> and the son says to the father, verse 21, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And notice before the son can finish, you can imagine this, the father is organising the biggest possible celebration. Uh, what, is, what does the father say? Verse 24, for this son of mine was dead. That's how big it is. Now he's alive again. He was lost. Now he's found. He puts the best robe on him. Uh, he gives him the ring. He kills the fattened calf. All the Jewish ways of saying, son, you are so important to me. Uh, you are welcome home. I love you. Let us celebrate. Well, there's a story. Let's take a step back from the story. Uh, because Jesus told these stories to, to, for us to think into, to question, what is he saying about God? What is he saying about the kingdom? What is he saying about us? I don't think it's that hard to work out here, is it? The father is God in the story. And it's a very, very different picture of God, isn't it, than most people have. Here is God who forgives. Here is God who doesn't give his ratbag son what he deserves. Here is a God who is unmistakably compassionate to those who want relationship with him. Here is, here is a God who, who just loves when we say sorry, when we come home and know our offence. Here is a God who is exceedingly generous to the selfish. The God who comes all the way to welcome us home. Jesus is saying, that is what God is like. You've got the wrong picture of God. If that is not the God that you see. It's also a different picture of, of a sinner, isn't it? Now, notice in the story, Jesus, I think, is helping us understand actually who is a sinner and what is sin. The Pharisees said it was those people. I reckon Jesus is saying, actually, it's all of us. Now, I don't know how you would define sin, um, but a lot of people define sin by here are the bad things that I do or that other people do. Um, stealing money from the bank or cheating on your tax return or being selfish or gossiping or cheating or whatever it is. I reckon a lot of people have a scale of between good and bad. And on that scale is all kinds of bad things. And we justify ourselves, don't we? We actually say, I'm good enough. Um, I put the pass mark at the place where I know that I'll pass. Or I, I, I'm lumped with great despair as I think I'm nowhere near that password. Past my, I've, I've failed. And we, we think to ourselves, um, what will I do with the sin that I've, I've committed? But you know, actually, those things that we've done wrong are actually a symptom of a bigger problem. That Jesus is going to hit us with, uh, there's a bigger disease going on. It's like going to your doctor and him only treating the symptoms and forgetting actually at the core you've got a disease. You've got cancer. You need it to be acted on. See, the heart of sin, the actual disease, has to do with your attitude towards God. That's what the son is showing us, his attitude to the father. 
He treats his father like his father is dead. He says to the father, give me the share of the estate. I'm out of here. I want to enjoy all the good things in your world, God. I just don't want you. And that's what, that's what sin is. Sin is taking the good things and saying, God, you're out of my life. I want to live independently. I want to, I want to enjoy these things. I want to use, use these things for my purpose uh, without you. That's the root cause. That's the root of sin. And I reckon Jesus is also helping us here understand repentance. What does it mean to come home? What does it mean to turn around? It, it's more than just saying sorry. It's more than just feeling bad. See, the, the son could have wallowed in despair uh, at the pig pen. But he actually decides to face up to his father, to say, I'm coming home. I'm making that turn. I'm returning to my father and I'm going to plead for mercy. That's what repentance is, turning around, coming towards God and saying sorry to God. This week I, I heard a story of a Brazilian woman named Maria. Uh, There's a picture on the app for you. A single mum. One night her daughter Christina uh, snuck out of her home and went to the city of Rio. And Maria knew that her daughter um, would not uh, have any other way of earning income except through prostitution. And so she goes after her daughter through the city. And she puts a whole lot of passport photos across the city, uh, in the hotels, the bars, the bathrooms, wherever she could possibly find. Uh, Each place she leaves her photo, a photo of herself, pinned to a notice board, stuck on a bathroom mirror, whatever it is. And a few weeks go by and Christina was in a hotel, broken, tired, spent. And her dream of city life had come to an horrible nightmare. But in the bathroom of the hotel, she finds one of the photos of her mum stuck on the bathroom mirror. She, she takes it off, she turns to the back of it, and here's the invitation on the back. It said, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. I reckon Maria is very much like the father in Jesus' story. There's the heart of God. But do you notice, there is actually one glaring problem with that invitation. Did you notice it? It does matter. Our sin does matter. It actually does affect God and affect other people. Our sin does hurt other people. It does cause offence to God. When we ignore God and treat him as if he's dead, that matters. It really does matter. But here is the here is the extraordinary thing. As, as we look at Luke 15, Jesus is heading for the cross. Jesus is actually going to die for the sins of the world. So important, so critical are the sins that we commit, the sin, the disease of ignoring him, that he'll die for us in our place. So it's actually really offensive, isn't it, to say, I can be good enough for God. Why did Jesus have to die? if you could be good enough for God? Why did Jesus, filled with sorrow, weighed down with the weight of sin to come in the Garden of Gethsemane, why did he say to his father, if there is any other way, 
So it's make it possible. And the Father says, there is no other way. And Jesus himself says, I must. I must go to the cross. So it's on your slide there. I reckon the better invitation, God's invitation, is this. Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it's been paid for in Jesus. Please come home. That's wonderfully refreshing news, isn't it? Heaven really is for bad people. Uh, Heaven really is for those who are prepared to admit, I have messed up. I have ignored God. I want to be forgiven. I want to come home. Now, did you notice, though, that the story doesn't end there? There's There's a sting in the tail of this story. I don't know whether you've noticed this before, but not everyone at the celebration is celebrating. Not everyone is enjoying the party. Uh, There's the older son. We we may have forgotten about him. Look in verse 27. He's been hard at work in his father's field. Uh, He hears the music. He smells the the roast beef. And he asks, what is going on? How could this possibly be? Uh, Look at verse 27. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has, has him home back safe and sound. And what does the older brother do? Look at verse 28. The older brother becomes angry. He refuses to go into the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. He's outraged. How can my dad do this? How can he possibly accept this son who's been a rebel in? But look at verse 29. He answered his father. Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. And never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you feel you kill the, the fattened calf for him. My son, the father says, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. The, the, older, the older brother doesn't get it, does he? He's not in tune with the father. Um, he actually despises the father's love and mercy. I reckon the older brother is determined to relate to his father based on duty, based on being good enough. He, he says, I've slaved away in the field day after day. I've worked hard. That is a very odd way to relate to your father. You imagine my three daughters relating to me in that way. You imagine if they'd always kept their room immaculate. This is a hypothetical example. <laughs> um, made their beds, mowed the lawn, that would be nice. Um, and, you know, the perfect daughters that you could imagine. But imagine they did all of that and never spoke to me actually lived in our home and ignored me, enjoyed all the benefits of home, but never, ever said anything to me, ignored me. That would be awful to me. I reckon Jesus is helping us understand here, the older brother, he's helping us understand the problem of religion. That relationship with God is not, it's not about doing good things, not about being a good person. In fact, you can be completely, you can be a great person, and completely ignore God. In fact, you can be a deeply religious person 
and completely ignore God. In fact, isn't that what the Pharisees were? Good people, moral people, religious people who ignored God as they ignored Jesus. See, the the tragedy of the older brother is that there is life to be celebrated with a generous father and he decides to stay out in the cold and not enjoy the party. Well, I wonder as we, we finish up this morning, where do you see yourself in this story? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Who are you in this story? I reckon a lot of Aussies probably relate to the older brother. I've been good enough. I've spent, we kind of spend our whole lives justifying who we are, uh, that we've basically been good. But actually there are bad people, but there are other people. And one day if we do come face to God, if we think there is even a God, God will accept me. God will think I'm actually a pretty good bloke. And even though we've lived for ourselves, even though we've treated God as if he's not there, we expect that God will accept us. And what Jesus is saying here is we need to relate to God like the younger brother, the rebel, the one who took off, but also the one who came home. Here's here's three things. I reckon it's acknowledging your sin. It's saying, I haven't always lived the way God wants me to live. I've, I've actually ignored God. And stop ignoring God. Turning back to God in repentance. Coming home. Making God the king again, not yourself. And then trusting in God's love and mercy. That God wants to forgive you. And he's done everything possible in Jesus' death to make that happen. So I don't know where you are as you think about that. Uh, But it would be great for us this morning to pray a prayer that actually expresses... Uh, where we're at as the youngest son, if that's you. Uh, so if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, that's us. We're the ones who've come home and we need to give thanks. But maybe it's the first time that you've actually done that. Say, say sorry, acknowledging to, to God your sin, saying sorry to God, thanking God for Jesus. Um, so I'm going I'm to do that now as we finish and then I think we're going we're gonna to sing again. Let's do that. Let's pray. Our great, loving, heavenly Father, as we hear this story this morning on the lips of Jesus, uh, we relate to the younger son. Father, we know that we're not worthy to be accepted by you. We don't deserve your love. We have rebelled against you, we've offended you. We've enjoyed your world, and yet, without you, Father, please help us from this point on to treat you as the loving, merciful God that you are, King of this world and the King of us. Thank you for sending your son to die for me, that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Please welcome me back as one of your children. Thank you that you've done everything to make this possible through Jesus' death on the cross. Amen.